welcome to Missio Church. Uh, my name is Levi Pancake. I serve as one of the uh, pastors and elders here. And as Nate mentioned, if you are a guest with us this morning, we do want to expend a special welcome to you. And uh, at the bottom of that connection, or at the bottom of that, that bulletin, there's a connection card. Uh, you should have received it when you walked in this morning. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, and then you can take that tear-off portion uh, at the end of the service to the Welcome Center in the back, where we have a gift to show um, our gratitude for your, your time with us uh, this morning. And we really are glad that you're, you're here worshiping with us. Uh, happy Resurrection Sunday uh, to everyone. And uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ this morning. Now, every Sunday we come together as God's people and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Um, but we recognize that in our culture, on our calendar, this is a day where we um, give special attention to it. So, our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you're using the uh, Pew Bible, that is page 961. This is the Word of the Lord. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we come together with millions, millions around the world this weekend celebrating this foundational, essential, pivotal truth that Christ has risen. This morning as I uh, woke up to a notification 
saying that 200 plus have been killed in Sri Lanka, a nation that has been marked by persecution over the years. 250 churches have been destroyed. And this morning to read about how hotels and churches were bombed, we want to pray for uh, the men, women, and children who were affected by that, those who are grieving, those who, like us this morning, uh, came to worship you and to declare your excellencies, to strengthen one another. And so we weep with those who weep, but we weep as those who have hope and confidence in you in the midst of such tragedies. And now, Father, this morning, we pray that you would incline our hearts to your truth, that you would give us understanding, that you would satisfy us with your word and with your promises. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand. Father, we entrust this time to you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Well, there's a a real danger for each of us that we could drift into, particularly on a holiday, a day like today where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and that danger that we can easily drift into is that we can become bored or accustomed to the resurrection. We can treat it nonchalantly. We can be, be flippant with it. We, we can become almost bored with it. Um, uh, last month, my 15-year-old niece was up from Florida uh, visiting for her spring break. And as we were leaving church on Sunday, it was snowing outside, and she had been waiting all week to see it. And so she started uh, squealing with excitement, as you would expect a Floridian who came up here primarily to see snow uh, would do. But, but my family, we simply groaned. We wanted to see no more of that white stuff. Why? Because we're accustomed to it. We were uh, over it. That's why uh, all of us actually go down to Florida for our spring break, because we don't even want to dare see the white stuff in in April. Now, I actually lived in Florida for 16 years, and 12 of those years, I lived in Naples, Florida, on, on the west coast of Florida, along the, the Gulf of Mexico. And, and anytime we had uh, someone visiting from uh, out of state, we would inevitably uh, make our way to the beach one evening to watch uh, one of those famous and well-known uh, sunsets uh, along the, the Gulf of, of Mexico. And you could always tell uh, when someone was from out of the state or when whether they were a snowbird or a tourist or what, you could always tell because once that, that sun dropped just below the, the horizon, everyone would start clapping. And you didn't know who they were clapping for, but they were clapping. You know, maybe it was the sun. Way to go, sun. You did it. Great job. Another day. You nailed it. Maybe they were creating for, or clapping for God. I, I don't know. But everyone is clapping, and usually uh, I'm just thinking like what I want for dinner. You know, is it, do I want the house salad or Caesar salad? Do I want fries, baked potato? That's what I was fixed on because I was accustomed to all of those sunsets. I was, I was over them. Um, now, just like, again, central New Yorkers are accustomed to snow 11 months out of the year. We're used to it. We can become bored with it. Well, similarly, uh, similarly we can um, easily become accustomed 
to the resurrection of Christ. And, and I think there's many professing followers of Christ who, who kind of view the resurrection and, and think, yeah, uh, okay, I, I believe in Jesus, I, I know about His resurrection, but, but let's move on to something else. Let's move on to bigger issues, more important issues, uh, things like that. And it's important for us to remember that we do indeed have an enemy, and the enemy would be just as happy um, to cause us or to allow us to drift into losing the astonishment of the resurrection, to misplacing the um, importance of the resurrection. Uh, Just this week, I saw a study from BBC that, that read this, fewer than half of the Christians in the United Kingdom think Jesus actually died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. I think most professing followers of Christ would say it's important, but it's not that important, is it? I think about that. Fewer than half of those who profess trust in Jesus Christ in the United Kingdom believe that Jesus actually died and that He was actually raised on the third day. Well, our text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to see that the resurrection is that important, that we shouldn't lose our astonishment from it, and that we would be prepared to protect ourselves from becoming bored or accustomed to the glorious and good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The the resurrection of Christ is, is pivotal. It's foundational. It's necessary for gospel message, for faith and trust in Christ. Uh, Tim Keller, he describes the resurrection as the hinge upon which the story of the world pivots. The resurrection of Christ in the past, the resurrection of human beings in the future have deep, everyday, practical implications for our lives, for the very present. It changes the way both death and life are understood and experience. As one theologian said, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. The resurrection changes how we view ourselves, the world, our neighbors, creation, God, and history. It changes everything. But if Christ has not risen from the dead, then Christianity has nothing to say. No hope, no joy, no exhortation, no inspiration. So again, I want to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, and and we're going to see three things about the resurrection. It's it's foundational and pivotal. We're going to see that the resurrection is key to uh, the grace of God being demonstrated. And thirdly, uh, we're going to see just how unnecessary it is and the consequences of the denial of the resurrection. So, the first thing, the resurrection, pivotal and foundational to the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed 
in vain. So he's starting uh, this section of this letter, which he's really wrapping up in many ways um, the entirety of the letter with this uh, really long chapter on the resurrection. And he starts off by, by saying this, I'm not telling you anything that I haven't told you before. I would remind you, brothers, I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, similarly, uh, this message of the resurrection, you're not hearing a new story today. We should be thankful for that. I'm not telling you anything new. I'm reminding you of these truths. This is a truth, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, that you received. Paul had preached the gospel in Corinth five years earlier. He's saying that five years ago you received this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. You stand on that good news about Jesus Christ. That good news, it's, it's saving you. As long as you hold fast to the word I preached to you, Paul said, unless you believed in vain. I'd say for the majority, I don't know everyone in here, but the majority of you would at least profess that you have received the message of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, what that accomplished. You'd say that you're standing on it. You're, you're being saved by it. You are not only once saved, but the very clinging to it continues to, to save us, restore us in a right relationship with our Creator. Then he continues, verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to, to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Paul's saying, I delivered. This was the message. Remember that message you received that you stand on that's saving you? This is the content of it. You ready? I delivered this to you uh, of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared. Those four components, saying that is of first importance. If, if you don't know anything else, know that. If you don't hear anything else, Paul says, hear this. If I don't point to anything else, allow me to point to this. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared. Since this is a matter of first importance, let's just go a little bit more slowly through those four points. First of all, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ. Now, it's not Jesus' last name. It's not the Smith to John Smith. It's a title. It means in Hebrew, Messiah, the anointed one. Christ. By, by having that title, Jesus was the promised end times king who would usher in salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation of God's people 
back to God. Christ died for our sins. He had no sins of his own to die for. Paul writes in Romans that the wages of our sin is death. He died in order to save individual sinners like you and I, that we might be reconciled to God. He died for our sins. Why did he have to die for our sins? Scripture makes clear. All of us, all of us who are made in the image of God fall short of the glory of God. Scripture also makes clear that you and I cannot placate, cannot appease God's righteous wrath against our rebellion, against our sin. We have no means to do so. We deserve His wrath. But God, Ephesians 2, 4 says, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. We are saved from God's righteous wrath because Christ was sent in order to absorb that wrath, to be a, a substitute to take our place. He did this according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. It, it calls to mind the uh, Passover story. You may recall the, the Passover occurs in Exodus chapter 12. It's the most significant moment in Jewish history. The background is the, the threat of the tenth and final plague of God's judgment on Egypt. God had sent Moses to warn Pharaoh that Yahweh, God Himself, was going to pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn male. There would be no distinction between human or animal or social class. The only way of escape was by God's own devising and God's own provision. So each Israelite household was to go and choose a, a lamb, a, a lamb that was a year old without defect, and they were to kill it. Then they were to take a hyssop branch, and they were to dip it in the blood, and then sprinkle that blood on the doorpost of the frame of their front door. And they were not to go out of their house at all that night, for having shed the blood and sprinkled it, now they were to shelter under it. For God had already announced His intention to pass through Egypt in judgment, but now He added the promise to, to pass over every blood-marked house in order to shield that house from His wrath. So that night, the uh, Israelites in their homes, they ate the roasted lamb with their belts fastened and sandals on their feet, staffs in their hand, ready to go at any moment when God would deliver them. They received their salvation 
by substitution. Only those who were covered by the blood of the Lamb were saved. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. He is the ultimate lamb. Sin demanded a punishment. Sin equaled death, and Christ took that. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath through divine self-sacrifice. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath through divine self-sacrifice. It's what Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried. It's an important component. Jesus died, and He was buried, meaning He was dead. The burial of Christ is a historical fact. This is an essential component to the Christian faith. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, refers to the burial of Jesus. Jesus was buried in the tomb of an influential, powerful, wealthy, eminent man named Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish council, a secret follower of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't just buried, but He was entombed in a tomb. And there were witnesses to Jesus being entombed there. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's Paul's third point of first importance. He was raised on the third day. Now, just so there's no confusion, when we talk about Jesus being raised here, we're not talking about like the memory of Him being raised or the legacy of Him being raised, an influential figure. This isn't like the the memory or influence of uh, Albert Einstein or Martin Luther King Jr. or Abe Lincoln. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about resuscitation. It's not like what Jesus did for Lazarus. This isn't like the show of The Walking Dead. This isn't the zombie apocalypse here or a preview of that. We're not talking about reincarnation. We're not talking about resuscitation. We're talking about resurrection, alive and glorified and ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. He was raised on the third day, the the first day being um, the, the day He was put in the grave, the second day, the day following, the third day, the day of His resurrection. This that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This, this demonstrates Christ's victory over sin, over death, over hell, over the enemy. This, this shows Christ's power over sin and death 
hell and the enemy. It it shows uh, God's glory. It shows His majesty. It shows His faithfulness. It it shows His worthiness of, of praise. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and and He appeared. We see in this section, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, a whole laundry list of people. He he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. He appeared to the twelve minus Judas. He he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, and then Paul adds, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, another key leader in the early church, then to all the apostles. All this basically to say too many have seen the risen Christ for the story to have been fabricated. And Paul makes clear, I mean, if you want to go at the time of this writing, if you want to go like verify this, there's about more than 500 people you can go talk to who saw the risen Christ in order to evaluate the accuracy of their witness. Paul's saying, this is a matter of first importance. That's the message that you receive. That's the message in which you stand. That is the good news message that saves us. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared. And His resurrection, what we're celebrating this morning, is right smack in the middle of it, culminating, displaying demonstrating His victory, His power, His glory, and His majesty, sealing what Christ came ultimately to do. Secondly, Paul's going to go on to then talk about the gospel message of grace. In verse 8, Paul says, "'Last of all, as to one untimely born,' He appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is is with me. So, So, Paul's saying, He's appeared to all these people, then last of all, He appeared to me. Now, I'm unworthy of that appearance, Paul's saying. I persecuted the, the church of God. I'm the least of all the apostles. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In verse 10, he mentions the word grace three times, thus emphasizing God's grace in his life. Verse 8 says, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one untimely born. That phrase, as to one untimely born, I mean, it certainly means a a little bit of, you know, Paul came to the party late, a little Johnny come lately, but it actually has more punch than that. It's to um, bring to mind, least of the Corinthian readers, of of this graphic picture of an aborted fetus. Paul says, I was dead. I was dead, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He who used to persecute and approved of the killing of Christians now is a herald, now is an apostle, now is a messenger who goes and proclaims that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, that He appeared. 
know, Paul kind of adds this little punch in there. I worked harder than any of them. Is it necessary? I don't know. He's writing Scripture, not me. I do know a big thrust of the Corinthian argument as there's little, these little sects of, of people who uh, some are following Apollo, some are following Peter, some are following Paul, and some are, you know, saying uh, Paul's not really that good of an apostle, and, and Paul's kind of throwing in a jab there that says, well, I worked pretty hard, but, but remember, it's not, not me. It's the grace of God. That is in me. That is with me. It's the grace of God was executed, now made available to each and every one of us who trust in that message of the gospel, of the good news of Christ. I mean, God's grace is available to each and every one of us. Grace means unmerited favor something that you and I don't deserve. So, even if you are the least of all Central New Yorkers, the least of all Syracusians, or the greatest of all Central New Yorkers, and the greatest of all people from Syracuse, whether you're the, the least of all bankers or healthcare providers or teachers, or the greatest of all bankers, healthcare providers, teachers, whether you're the, the least of all in your family, the greatest of all, doesn't matter how wide the spectrum is. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. Doesn't matter your political affiliation. It doesn't matter whether you have hair or don't on the top of your head. None of that matters. For the, <laughs> for the grace of God is available to all of us who call on the name of Christ. And then he says, in verse 11, kind of wraps up a little bit that, that point. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So it doesn't matter if you heard it from me, Paul says, or Apollos or Peter or someone else. If they're carrying that message, it was the same means. So we preached and so you believed. That's an encouraging verse, verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. It, it highlights a, a consistency, a, a historicity to the gospel message. We're not just coming up with this stuff. And there's a track record we can point to of over 2,000 years. And you know what? It's the same message. There's a consistency, a stability to it that is encouraging in a day and age where there doesn't appear, at least based on the eye test of what we're seeing in terms of stability, historicity, and consistency. I mean, things are changing all the time. A few months ago, I read that if uh, I would drink a cup of hot tea every morning, that it would prolong my life only to find three weeks ago on the front page of USA Today that if I drink a hop, cup of hot tea every morning, I'm at high risk for throat cancer. Just in the span of three months, changing a little bit. Maybe if I, I switch to an herbal tea or chamomile tea or something instead of that rich English breakfast tea, maybe that will help. Uh, the news, the headline news is, is changing all the time. You just had to read the news this week and, and, and read about the, the Mueller report. 
all kinds of chaos, all kinds of, of, of uppy-downy stuff. Uh, take fashion, for instance. You're going to see two pictures on the screen. 30 years ago, these styles were in. And that was cool. There's one more. Look at those guys. They're life of the party right there. So at one time, some of you remember this more than others. Some of you, if you go into your closet and just go like that, you'll find it. At one time, that was, that was cool. That was stylish. That was, was trendy. And then we went through a phase where we just mocked everyone who ever dressed like that. And we would flip through the photo albums. You know, thankfully, Facebook wasn't on then. And, and we would just turn quickly because we want to be seen in that dress. But, but now... Thanks to shows like Stranger Things, it's coming back. Seriously. It's making a comeback. Just look at Stephen Caserta. It's making a comeback. <laughs> and just FYI, as we enter the summer season, gentlemen, short shorts are in now. Just, just throwing that out there. I'm not saying you should wear them. Definitely not. But short shorts are in. And then we might go back to the cabris or the cabros and then the, the longer shorts. And I, I don't know. Maybe we'll be wearing spacesuits in 20 years. I have no idea. Uh, headline news changes. Styles and fashion, uh, it changes. Health reports and studies and medical facts and all that kind of stuff, they, they can change depending on what you're reading. But, but the gospel message whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. It's been proclaimed, and it's been consistent. Every generation, every tribe, every nation, every culture and background, this message, the resurrection of Christ, goes forth. It should give us comfort it should give us hope in the message of reconciliation and the power of the resurrection in order to, to make that reconciliation actually happen. Last, the resurrection is necessary to the gospel, and, then, and Paul's going to show us the consequences of denying the resurrection. Verse 12, now... If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul's saying, remember, okay, you received that message, you, you stand on that message, you're being saved by that message, the resurrection of Christ, that's a pretty important component to that. He's saying, if, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which you all say you've received and believe in, Christ proclaimed as, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Uh, apparently, there's, a, there's some chatter among the Corinthian church that there is no resurrection of the dead, whether they're in Christ or not. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 14, or 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So now he's going to link the two. Okay, if you can somehow approve of the resurrection of Christ, but deny that there's a resurrection of those uh, souls, say, no, if you lose the resurrection of the dead, you're going to lose the resurrection of Christ. The two are 
directly connected. They are linked. And then he says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That word vain means empty or useless or hollow. Now, is, is Paul overreacting here? Is he making a, a mountain out of a molehill? A bit of a Pauline overstatement? Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, our family, uh, Julie and I, my wife and I, we, we overreacted to, to something. Um, my five-year-old son, Judah, was in preschool. We get a call one morning from the preschool that said Judah was complaining that his ear hurt and he was uh, running a low temperature. So, um, I go and pick him up from preschool, uh, bring him home. Julie uh, sets up a doctor's appointment for him later in the day. And and something you need to know about Judah, he got his first ear infection when he was eight weeks old. Uh, He's had two surgeries with tubes, and uh, he just had an ear infection two months prior to this. So, the dude is very familiar with with ear infections. And so, uh, Julie takes him to the doctor, and a doctor comes in and uses that instrument, looks in his ear, says, "I, I don't see any fluid. He he doesn't have an ear infection. And so, Julie looks at her a little puzzled, and then the doctor kneels down in front of Judah and says, hey, buddy, can you tell me what happened at school today? And then he responded, my friend threw a block at my ear. (laughs) Say again? My friend threw a block at my ear. Oh, well, that will make your ear hurt if someone throws a block at your ear. I mean, here we go. I mean, we're, we're reorganizing our whole day, you know, carpool stuff. I mean, evening activities. I mean, we rearranged all of it only to find out that his friend, who might I add is not that good of a friend if he's throwing blocks at your ear, his friend threw a block at his ear. Now, obviously, we were relieved and happy about that, but felt like in some ways we had wasted the whole day due to an overreaction. Okay, so, so Paul's not, not pulling what we just did. He, he's not, you know, responding to a small bruise on the tip of someone's ear and calling it an ear infection. Uh, what the Corinthians are saying about the resurrection, this is an infectious disease that will kill the gospel message. Paul's reacting rightly. To deny the resurrection, it rips the guts out of the gospel message. It rips the guts out of Christianity. It says, if if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. That message that you received, nope, doesn't happen. Can't be executed. Your faith is empty and hollow and useless because God didn't have the power to actually make it happen. Verse 16, or excuse me, verse, verse 15. Paul says, We're, if Christ hasn't been raised, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Why? Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not 
been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Remember back in verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures? If Christ has not been raised, that forgiveness does not happen. That's what's so astonishing about that headline from BBC that said fewer than half of the Christians in the United Kingdom believe in the resurrection. They're, They're not seeing the full implications of that that Paul is outlining here. Christ didn't raise from the dead, no no atonement, no forgiveness of sins, no freedom from bondage, no victory over sin, hell, death, and the grave. Paul's saying it's necessary for our reconciliation to God. But we as followers of Christ know that the resurrection is true. And it did happen. And since it did happen, we know that Christ can be trusted. We know that God has power over every enemy of life. He's someone we can count on. He's someone we can trust. He's someone that will never let us down, that He's alive, and we can rest in Him. Then he says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if there's no resurrection of Christ, then any of those who profess faith in Christ, when they died, they fell asleep, they're done. You're not going to see them again. No hope to reuniting with them. And yet again, we know the, the flip side of it, the positive side of it, part of the gospel message, since the resurrection did happen, we can be confident that we don't come to an empty end after a, a full and valuable life. We don't just come to zero or at worst uh, are damned. Those who have died or, as Paul says, fallen asleep they'll wake again. They are alive. They will live forever. They will live the way that Christ lives. They will enter into the joy of their master. And so will we in Christ. Those of us who are in Christ will see our loved ones and friends and family members who are in Christ, and we will share eternity with them. So we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We don't mourn over loved ones who are in Christ who, who fall asleep or die as though they are irretrievably lost. We only grieve as those who have fallen asleep and soon, oh very soon, we will see and know that there's a promise of future Awakening. Then our last verse. It's a well-known verse. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We can have hope in Christ, but if we have hope in Christ in, in this life only basically denying the resurrection, denying the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? 
Because then living for Him, submitting our lives to Him as King, without the promise of resurrection, Paul's saying it's futile, it's a great delusion. John Piper writes this, if, if Christ is not raised, we should be pitied like insane people who live by hallucinations. But since Christ has been raised and is alive and reigns as King forever, all our obedience, all our love, all our self-denial is not just not to be pitied, but it's, it's positively to be envied. This slight and momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And there is a longing within each and every one of us that our lives be well spent, that our lives count for something, that they have significance and usefulness, that we don't come to the end of our days and say, it was all in vain, empty, pointless, useless, insignificant pitiable. Paul knows this. That's why he ends this this whole chapter on the resurrection in verse 58 with the words, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. That is the longing of our lives. Oh, Lord, let it not be misspent. Let me not come to my grave and say I've wasted it. It does not have to be. Christ is risen and everything done in His name, by His strength and for His glory. It's not in vain. It's, it's enviable. It's significant. It's, it's valuable. It is eternal. And the resurrection of Christ changes everything. It changes how we pray for those who are affected just today in Sri Lanka. It changes how they grieve. It changes how they mourn. It changes how they persevere. It changes how they cling to Christ. And it changes how we cling to Christ today. If you're here this morning and have not trusted in this gospel message that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, that He appeared, I pray that God would woo you to Himself, that you would see the beauty of this good news and that you would turn from your sin and trust in Him. And for those of us who claim to have believed that, to receive that, to, to stand on that, to be saved by that, then may we, this Resurrection Sunday, in all of our days, worship Him because of the power demonstrated in the resurrection, because of the grace delivered in the resurrection, and because of the glory displayed in the resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we celebrate with those throughout generations, history, 
nations, different tongues, different tribes, different peoples, we celebrate the glorious and wonderful news that Christ is alive and that He's ruling and that He's reigning and that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Protect us, O Lord, from drifting into boredom, drifting to a place where we lose our astonishment of the resurrection. Since the resurrection is true, it demands our attention. You demand our lives. You're worthy of our lives. And we have hope for not only life now, but life to come. We rejoice and we celebrate this good news together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.